Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Glory to God. Father, we give you glory right now, God, and we, in this moment, Lord, we are just asking that you would speak to us, God. And then in the same vein, God, we want to go and change the world. And Lord, we, we come here today with many burdens. And we come, Father God, with this weight on our shoulders, God. And we ask you, God, that the Holy Spirit would come today and he would work out those things that might be distracting us from you. And God, you might work away those things that might be keeping us from the mission that you call us to. And then, Father God, we pray that your presence would be here. God, we pray that you would be here in such a way that we know that you have spoken. Now, God, the presence of the Holy Spirit is here. Now, we ask that you would change us and make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I feel like I'm at my daddy's church right now. I was about to start hooping. I was like, mm. start tuning up in this joker. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, it's good to be here, man. As we sing that song and talking about changing the world, I wonder, do you actually believe that? You know, as you sing those songs, do you believe that you could be a part of changing the world? When I was uh, 17 years old, I had a great opportunity to help start an organization. Uh, this organization was called Minority Male Youth Empowerment Project, and what we did was we started mentoring young boys. And in so doing, uh, we got to go around different parts of the city, different parts of where I lived, and uh, we got to talk about AIDS, substance abuse, domestic violence, and we mentored young boys. And it was a <clears throat> powerful time, but I remember thinking, man, there's so much I want to see people change, and there's so much I want to see as a, as a younger person. And I remember thinking, man, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface. I mean, when I get these boys into a home or if I get them a mentor, I remember thinking there's, there's so much deeper change I want to see. And I started to realize as I became a Christian, I really believe, I fundamentally believe the best way to see change in this world is through knowing Jesus Christ. I fundamentally believe that. I don't believe that as a means of religion. I believe fundamentally that Jesus Christ was a real person who lived a real life and because of the date, I can look and tell the date and see when it's BC versus AD, meaning Jesus Christ was the most important person in this history of the world. He had the greatest impact this world has ever had and the reason why he had the impact he had was that he did not just focus on changing people's external circumstance, he changed their spiritual life and I believe a spiritual change, an internal change, if you change a person's life from the inside out, there's nothing they can't do. It doesn't matter if they didn't have a home or a family or a dad or all those things, all the external things they deal with. If you change a person's mind and heart, you can see them do incredible things. And so I fundamentally believe when we say we want to change the world, I don't believe politics. That's why I'm not tripping about January 20th and the new president. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't phase me. His tweets don't do nothing for me. They, they, I mean, what I'm telling you is that God is, sits on a throne. He is the 
creator of the world. He has a divine plan. And just like Jesus changed this world, he calls us to be agents of change. Uh, He calls us and he has sent us wherever you are. If you're in an industry, if you're in, you know, uh, if you, you work on cars or planes, if you're in theater, if you sing, if you dance, if you act, if you're in the business field, God has placed you where he has placed you so that you might be an agent of change. And today, as we look in the book of Mark, we see that Jesus actually, he calls men to realign their purposes to his purposes. It's an entire realignment in the way they think and they live. And, you know, we've been walking through the book of Mark, and we have not heard Jesus speak yet, but in the book of Mark, this is the first time we hear him talk. And when he talks, he calls men to himself, and we see them immediately follow. You know, I I pray that for you, I pray you're just not looking to gain this world. You know, the scriptures say, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world that lose his soul? I I wonder if you have a passion inside you to really change the world. And if you do, I pray that you would know a couple of things. You know, there is inside of all of us a, the DNA, God's, God's DNA, his thumbprint that makes you look at things and want to see things change. It makes you have passions inside of you. And so, um, you know, as we talk about God calling men to himself, he doesn't just call us to preach the gospel. Yes, that's, that's what we do. There's a message, but he gives you passions and desires to live out his ways in this world. Yeah. Um, you know, um, there, there were, I saw an author write this once and I thought it might be helpful for us. He said, um, there's three things to consider when you think about calling, affinity, ability, and opportunity. Affinity in that what burdens you for people? What, what, what do you feel for people? What makes you pound the table and say, it shouldn't be this way? Things should be different. Mass incarceration shouldn't be this way. Kids should have better schools. It it makes you pound the table and you want to see change. That's what caused us to come up here and start this church. We felt that there should be a church for people who didn't want to go to church. And so we had this passion and this passion caused us to move up here even though we didn't know anybody and to start a church. And then then ability, what are my strengths and my weaknesses? What am I good and what am I bad at? And, And how can I position myself to use my strengths for God's glory? And, and whatever I'm weak in, let me partner with people so that, man, if I'm not good at this, I want you to be good at it. Um, if, you, you know, if you're good at something, I want to partner with you. So what are my affinity and ability, and where's the opportunity? What, where am I needed today? How can I be used today? How can I strategically align my life so that God would use me today? Now, I pray that you somehow figure this out because a job with lots of money doesn't mean you figured this out. I, I hate to tell you this, but if you reach the top of your industry, that does not mean you've met satisfaction. It just means you have more comfort. It means your apartment got a little bit bigger, you know, and you can pay rent every week, praise God. But even if you reach the top, what I'm telling you is there are people in here that are jobless, yet they're passionate. They're doing what they feel like they're supposed to do. You can be jobless and still be in the midst of what you're called to do. You can, be, have, you can have a job, but you can be missing your calling. So I'm just trying to tell you, there was a time in this world where job did not indicate calling. 
But now we look at jobs, we look at this kind of industry where it's hard to get on a plane and people tell, you know, tell me about yourself. It's hard to meet people and not talk about our jobs because our jobs tend to suffocate, suffocate our identity. But our identity is not found in our work. Our identity is found in the calling of God. Now, those things, those things that I mentioned, those are things that you're going to try to find and figure out and discover. But every calling is rooted in Christ. Why can I say that if you're not a Christian today, if you're not religious today? Why can I say that? Because I believe that God has designed you. I believe God made you. And Jesus is the son of God and his job is to redeem you and place you back into alignment with God's purposes. So God has designed you, Jesus realigns you, and then you can live out your assignment on this world. If the man who designed you can assign you. And so in light of that, why not come and just discover who God is and live out his purposes in this world? So I can just openly say, I, I think knowing Jesus actually puts you in the best position to do the things God has called you to do. Now, but, but the scriptures say that um, a calling above the callings that we see work and all that, but just the calling that we have um, needs to be understood. Um, so that's what we're gonna see here in the text today, uh, Jesus calling men to himself. It's a pretty powerful picture because at that time, rabbis didn't, you know, rabbis didn't choose students. Students choose, chose rabbis. And it's the same thing today. Teachers don't walk up to you and be like, be in my class. You, you choose what class you want to be in, and then you go to it. And if you don't like it, you drop it. But this is interesting. The, te the teacher is enrolling students. He's calling them to himself. And so that's what we see in the scripture today. It's a fascinating picture. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it reads this way. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. <laughs> Boy, we used to, when I was, uh, started off in ministry, we used to go knock on doors and we'd share the gospel with people. And, you know, obviously I'm a pastor, and, and whenever I start talking about the gospel, immediately I can feel people shrinking in their chairs. Because either you feel like I'm going to start, you know, telling you about the gospel and how you need to change your life, and there's like this, like, yeah, I need to do that. Or I'm telling you you need to share the gospel more. And that's some real guilt. That can create some real guilt up in this place, right? Um, because those are the things that you hear about, like share the gospel and live out the gospel. And the crazy thing about it is when I start talking about the gospel to people, people start shrinking away. They get, a, they get afraid. They get confused. And the word gospel means good news. It doesn't even make sense. Like you feel afraid and you feel burdened and it's good news. <laughs> the word in and of itself, when you really break down, break down the word, it actually means a message of joy. A message that produces joy inside of you. And so if you are hearing the gospel and it does not conjure up any kind of joy inside of you, that's not the gospel. That's not the message that he went into the city proclaiming. The gospel the word gospel is actually not a Christian word. Christians didn't make it up. 
The word gospel was used in, in the Roman times all the time because the word gospel was little, it literally meant good news that you wanted to announce. And it was good news that you would share and announce, but it was, a, it was like a history-changing, history-shaping kind of news. So what would happen is, is that there's actually in history books the good news of Caesar Augustus. And it would be talking about victory that Caesar just had over another city or victory over the, the fact that a kingdom was coming and it was trying to take over a certain area. And it would, it would, you know, a herald would go into the town square and announce, we don't have to worry about that king anymore. We defeated him, you are free. And the people would be like, yes. And they'd be excited and happy because the herald would share good news, history-shaping news, history-changing news. And so the, in um, the story of uh, Juneteenth, is an amazing story. Have you ever heard the story? It's amazing. I didn't hear this until I was like 30 years old. There were people that didn't know they were set free from slavery. 1863, the Emancipa Emancipation Proclamation was put into place because it was only talked about a lot in the, on the eastern seaboard in the southeast region. A lot of people in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia knew they were set free. But in Galveston, Texas, people didn't know they were set free. And so the troops had to go down to the middle of the square and tell everybody the Emancipation Proclamation has been put into order in 1863, two years ago, it was 1865, and now you all are set free. And do you think that was like, Oh, that's tight. Oh, cool. Are we free now? Or do you think they were bursting with joy? They were bursting with joy because they knew how they had been enslaved. The problem of the gospel, the problem with the gospel not producing joy is because people do not know how deeply they've been enslaved. See, the gospel, you know what the gospel, you know what the gospel is? The gospel is God accepts you because of Jesus. And you go, that's cool. You don't know how hard you're working for acceptance right now. You don't know how deeply you're working for significance right now. You don't know how much you are thirsty for acceptance. So because you don't see the shackle on you, you don't see your freedom. You know, the, the gospel is, you've been set free. You're like, I ain't got a chain on me. But if you would only see the shackles surrounding you, you would only see the many of the insecurities that you have, all the things you do to get all dolled up and the people that you feel like you've got to put yourself in a position to and you've got to know the right people and, you know, you've got to rub all the right elbows and put yourself in the right position. It's because you're hungry to be accepted. And the higher up the people are, the more you feel that insecurity. And so you've got to, you, you know, you, you met the man, but you, you found out he was the man sitting next to the man. So you're like, I got to meet the man. And then you find out he's the man sitting next to the man. And so you got to meet him. And you keep fighting to meet these people. And then you go, no, 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 I got to get a wife. That's what it is. And you keep fighting for significance. You know, I was sharing the other day in men's time. We had a bomb, men. it was incredible men's time. Um, and uh, I was sharing the other day, man, while I was in men's time, like, my, part of my walk, I just, I kept saying, that's, that's it. Like, 
I remember I was in high school and I was, um, uh, my junior year, we had won a bowl game in football. And um, I remember after the game, the coach came up to me and he was like, you know what, man, we, we won this bowl game, but next year we're going to win the state championship. And I was like, cool, man. I, I was like, because after this game, I just felt like that's it. Like, that's, that's all that is. Like, that was nothing. Much. He was like, I'm telling you, when we go to the state championship, it's going to be amazing. So we ended up playing the Carrier Dome, Carrier Dome in Syracuse, and we uh, ended up winning 23 to 13. And I remember after the game, I was sitting in the locker room, and, um, you know, I was sitting there, and I was so excited. And the coach came up to me. He was like, we did it. I was like, we did, we did, and we hugged each other, and it was amazing. And then I sat in my locker, and I was like, that's it? Well, then I was like, you know what, it's, it's college. I got to go to college. I got to play college ball. So I ended up going to college ball, and I remember I found myself in college ball wanting to be this incredible football player, and I remember I, I, I wanted to win, and I, I can remember competing against all these guys, and I ended up getting a full scholarship, and now I'm, you know, playing and, and whatnot, and but it kind of got dull, because I was like, I don't think I'm gonna go to the NFL, and I ended up pulling my hamstring in a tryout, and so I was like, you know what? It's girls, that's what I need. I need some women in my life. <laughs> so I just started wanting to get with any girl I could possibly get with. And so, you know, I'm with, and then you know, the better she looked, the more fe- better I felt about myself. And so it's like, oh yeah, I like her, but what about her? And then, and then by God's, you know, not by God's grace, but, but, but by the, in, a ter- in a turn of events, I would, you know, I'm with this girl now. And so I'm like, oh, I'm with this girl and she's so bad. And, da, da, da. and what's crazy is I would be with this girl. I would work really hard to get to know her. Uh, things would happen, praise the Lord. And then I'd be like, that's it? And it was like, no, 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 what it is is, you know, I gotta start doing drugs and I gotta start doing drugs. And so I start smoking and now it's like drugs and sex and club and all these things are happening. But in the back of my mind, I still feel this sense, that's it? And I I still wasn't satisfied. And I didn't see that I was in shame. I was shackled. I was shackled for a feeling. I was shackled by significance. And then I heard the gospel, and it set me free. And I didn't need those people. I love people, but I didn't need them. I didn't need those things. I was set free. You've been set free. Uh, That's why we don't have to conjure up joy in you. The message should produce freedom. Freedom in Jesus. Freedom to not need anyone. Because of all those people, there's nothing like God. God accepting you. God has accepted you not because of your past, but because of Christ's past. God has accepted you not because of your work, because of his work. God has accepted you, and he loves you. And that produces joy. And if church, the Bible, prayer, if any of those elements of God's grace are not producing joy in you, you're hearing the wrong message. It's good news. It's good. I pray it's good to you. He says that um, he proclaims this news on the earth and he steps up into town and the people are all there. Now, It goes on in in verses 16 to 
through 20 to show how he's pulling men to himself. Verse 16, it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, uh, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the, uh, with the hired servants and followed him. <laughs> this is wild, man. These folks are at work. Okay, they, they at work. And he says, follow me. And they left work. These folks are in a boat with their dad. Apparently it was a family business. And while they're at work with their dad, they left. Two sets of brothers are in the middle of doing work and working with their father and immediately leave. Now, don't get it twisted. This is not saying leave your job. Okay, so don't quote me, don't quote this text. I don't know you, okay? Um, this is not what that text is saying. The, Peter, uh, well, si his name is Simon at this moment. Simon and Andrew, they end up fishing again. So it's not like they actually left their jobs. And James and John end up with their parents again. So they didn't just leave their family. Why does Jesus show us this picture of immediacy? Why does he show us this picture? Because what he is showing is that to follow him means you must reprioritize your life. And he must be realigned in your priority system. There are, there are other images he gives in the scriptures when Jesus says, follow me, and he tells one young man, I've got to go bury my father. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. He, he says in other passages, well, I've not come for peace but a sword so that mother would deny daughter and so on and so forth. And he shows this picture of immediate alignment to his purposes. And what this tells us is that on a basic level, we have to realign the way we think about family and business. It, now, in our culture, we look at the success in business way above success in family, way above success in family. At this time, your family was your greatest identity. That's how you saw yourself. That's why you know, when, you, when I marry people, I read Genesis and it says a, a man must leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. The reason why is because a young man would have a desire to always spend time with his family and not find his identity in his wife because that's all he's known. So his identity would be found there. And he's like, no, leave and cling or leave and cleave. And so that's what the imagery is of family. But for us, the real challenge would be business. The real challenge would be how we have, a, we have a tendency to find our identity in our vocation. And so he's saying, leave your vocation. No, don't leave the vocation. Leave the way you've been identifying yourself by it. And see yourself primarily as a child of God. 
and see yourself primarily as one who follows God. God is your identity. That's what he's saying. And we feel this tension. You know why we feel the tension? Because we want God to help us with with our business. And we want God to help us with our family. And we want God to be a means to the end. And God is saying, no, 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 baby, I'm the goal. You cannot use me. I won't be used. (laughs) Leave the way that you've been doing things. Realign the way that you see me now. He will not be a means to an end. And you know, when you hear this, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, I was, and I was reading from one author. It's funny because one of the reasons why this is tough is because we don't want to, like, I remember when I started walking with the Lord, and I remember this one girl was like, don't go be all too Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, be Christian, but don't be Christian Christian. You know what I'm talking about? Like, be, don't be one of them. And I know what she was talking about. She did not want, to, she did not want me to be a fanatic. <clears throat> and fanaticism is generally the people, there are people who they can't talk about life without talking about Jesus. And they're like very blessed. In fact, they say it all the time, like I'm blessed and I'm highly favored or whatever they say. And it's just kind of like this moment where I just can't even see you outside of your Christianity, right? And many times fanatics are mean, right? They, they, they just like kind of cut people off. They're like very unloving. But that what she's saying is I don't want you to become that. I don't want you to become a fanatic where it's all about Jesus. Don't make it all about Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Make it about Jesus somewhat. <laughs> and so where the culture gets frustrated, and part of it too is fanaticism has led to in other religions, you know, murder and death and lots of strife. And so it's like, don't be a fanatic. Don't go all the way. Don't go all the way. And the, so it's like, don't swing to that pendulum. But the other pendulum the world doesn't want you to swing to is like hypocrisy. It's like, look, if you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. Be all the way, but not all the way. (laughs) Don't be a hypocrite, but don't be a fanatic. Isn't that deep? We want you to be all in, but not all in. And what, what the world will tell you essentially is, have Jesus in moderation. Follow somewhat, but don't follow all the way. But I get it, because I say this all the time. The minute I tell people I'm a pastor, it changes every conversation, makes it extremely awkward and very weird. And part of it is fanatics. I, I want everybody in here to be a fanatic, but I just want you to be a fanatic with the real Jesus. The Part of the problem is People are fanatics and they love the parts where Jesus is like flipping over tables and like telling people off. (laughs) They love that Jesus. They don't like the crucified one though. (laughs) Like we love the hard Jesus. We don't like the humble Jesus. We, We like the Jesus that's like, yeah, all up in your face, but not on the cross. Like real Jesus was radically loving. 
Real Jesus loved his enemies. Real Jesus was on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's real Jesus. So if that's the Jesus we talking about, I pray you are an incredible fanatic that you go all the way. Because if you go all the way with that Jesus, ain't nobody gonna have a problem with you. They're going to see your love and feel your grace because fanatics for Jesus have been greatly forgiven and they emanate grace to people. Don't be moderate with that Jesus. So it's so wild, man. This, this text, you know, when you see them immediately leaving, it, it conjures up these emotions like, man, they're really about that life. They're all about Jesus. But notice something that Jesus does here I think is so powerful. In verse 17, in verse 17, it says, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the beauty of the Bible is that it's written in a language that has a, it's very expressive, and the New Testament is written in Koine Greek or classic Greek. And the classic Greek of this text actually renders this a bit different. Now, when it says, make you fishers of men, it, I don't know what that conjures up inside of you, but it actually says in the Greek, it says, you will become fishers of men. <laughs> so what it's actually saying is, over time, you will be a person that influences people for the glory of God. Over time. Now, what's interesting, though, is that when you look back here, both James and John's and um, Simon and Andrew, it says in verse 16, immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left to go find him. Immediately, both of them, both sets, both couplets, both groups, immediately they start following Christ. But Jesus says to them, you will become fishers of men. You will become influencers for my grace and my glory. I just love that because that's the truth. Over time, you will change. It will be a journey of transformation over time. But he also says, but you need to immediately follow me today. Hurry up and follow me, but slow down when you think about yourself. Be urgent to follow, but be patient with yourself. It will take you time, but don't take your time. Follow. <laughs> you see you see the transition he's making? It's, it's this urgency, but patience. Because it's a journey of transformation. It's a journey of growth. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter is one of the people he's talking to. Peter is one of the most classic mistake makers in the scriptures. He's always talking when he's not supposed to talk. He's always places he's not supposed to be. He's making promises he can't keep. He is the guy that you always hear talking a big talk, you know, like he's going to do something but never really does it. That's Peter, but Peter ends up leading the church. Peter made the most mistakes in the scriptures and then lead, leads the most people. How does that happen? Because he would become a fisher of men, but he followed today. Follow today and you'll transform tomorrow. Follow today and you'll transform over time, over time. One of the beautiful things about ministry is seizing, seeing people change. There's a lot of people in this room. I've seen you change. I've seen you grow. 
And it's because you've been walking with Jesus, not just coming to this church, you've been walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, growing. And I'm saying radical change. There was a young man years and years ago. Um, I remember uh, he'd been married for about a year. And um, I was like, man, I think they're going to struggle, but eh, I don't know. They'll, they'll, they'll be okay. Got a call late night. James, the police are at our house. I come to the house. They're taking him away off to prison or jail. He's going to be in jail for the night. What happened? We got into an argument. He got a little upset. I pushed him, and he hit me. He hit you? Yes. For the next few days, we would meet with that young man, and we would talk with him. And he would say, she, she challenges me so much, she, she gets in my face. I didn't mean to hit her, but I didn't know what to do. And I remember that night, we left the house, and the guy I was doing ministry with, I remember we just prayed, and we just asked God to keep them together. That's all we wanted, God, help keep them together. But if he does that again, let her go as soon as possible. A year goes by, and they did well. Two years goes by, they did okay. Three years goes by, no incidents. You see, when people do something crazy, you tend to look back, and you're just looking for the crazy. I just want, is it crazy? You know, is this crazy? Okay, this is not crazy, all right. That's all I want to know. Is there, is there crazy behind there? That's all I want. And so... You know, you're constantly checking, constantly checking. Well, he's not hitting her. Great. Seven years later, I look up. I'm looking back, and I'm literally asking, hey, how's such and such and such and such? Are they, like, are they together? This is actually my question. Are they together? Homeboy does marriage conferences now. Him and his wife go around the country and they do conferences and they talk about marriage and they use one of those moments as a means to talk about how God changed them and transformed them by the grace of God. Now, how can God turn a moment of domestic violence into a lifestyle of ministry? Because he would become, he would become. And I just want you to know, if you would follow Christ today, you're like, well, I'm a Christian. No, I'm saying just keep following today. Just wherever you're at, wherever you're at right now, just fo keep following where you're at, you will become. You will become. You will grow and you will change and you will not be the same. But I just want to encourage you, follow today. Be urgent about following. Be patient with yourself. And lastly, <clears throat> interesting, um, in the text here, um, I have to be honest with you, I don't want to sell you on Jesus. I don't want to sell you on calling. 
I don't want to sell you on changing the world. I want to be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? There's a cost. And I don't want to put a 99 behind it to like hype you up, to make you feel like it's not going to cost you everything. There's a cost. I'm not trying to fill this church. I'm trying to have you fulfill your life. There's a cost. Dang. I shouldn't have brought that up. There's a cost. (laughs) There's a cost. How much? Everything. Everything. It'll cost you everything. It costs you the way you think, the way you live. God is calling you to reprioritize everything. Peter. Peter, who I was talking about. There came a point where Peter was talking to a rich young ruler. And when he was talking to him, he was talking about selling everything. And the young man didn't want to do that. He walks away. Peter looks up and says, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. We've left everything. Interestingly enough, Jesus responds to him with grace and tells him, well, you know, you really haven't left that much, and in heaven you'll get all the more. But what Peter said here, if you follow Jesus, there may and there will come a point where you say to yourself, I've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And really, what Peter is asking is, do you notice my sacrifice? Jesus, you know, you know all that I'm giving up to follow you? Notice how much I've put into this thing to follow you. I've given up so much, you noticed it? My wife and I, we move here. We've got a five-bedroom house. We move into 600 square feet. We launch the church. It feels like there's only 20 people there one Sunday. And I'm like, do you notice what I'm doing? And some of you, there are men attracted to you, and you've said, no, no, no. But you look back, and you go, Jesus, you see what I'm giving up? There are, job, there are job opportunities that you could have. There are things that you could do. There are things you could say to people, and you don't say it. There's things you could do to people, and you don't do it. And you just want to know, Jesus, do you notice my sacrifice? Do you know what I could be doing? Do you notice my sacrifice? And I wonder what Jesus would say. Here's what I think he would say. Did you notice mine? Did you, did you notice? I, I know you gave up comfort, but did you see what I gave up? I, I gave up a throne. I gave up angels. Now, now, people might speak highly of you, but you don't know what it's like for an angel to sing to you about you. <laughs> oh, he gave it all up for you. When you are in the moment of desperation, wondering, does this 
thing really work out? Look to the cross and look to the resurrection. Because before he had a cross, he had a crown. Rather, before he had the, the crown, he had a cross. He had suffering. Beloved, suffering always comes before the glory. It always comes before the glory. And you may suffer right now, right now. You might be suffering and you may say, is it worth it? I want to proclaim to you good news. It's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth every hour you're sacrificing. He's worth everything you've given up. He's worth it. He's worth it. And do not let the news, do not let people weaken your belief. Be all in for Jesus. Be all in. Don't be moderate. Don't have Jesus light. Have Jesus all the way. Don't just jog behind, run. Go all the way for Jesus. And if they call you a fanatic, let them know you are a fanatic, radical, loving Christian because Jesus did it all for you. He's worth it. He's worth it. And it's incredible. Because when you give your life, when you go all in, People see your life, and slowly, they see you following somebody. They see your lifestyle. They see the things you say no to. Believe me, there are people saying yes, watching you say no, and they want the power you have. Believe me. There are people surrounding you right now that hear you, and they want to be like you, but they're afraid to admit it. We are going to have a moment of communion where we just think about the sacrifice. Think about the sacrifice of Jesus. And think about the sacrifice of Jesus for your behalf. Do you notice my sacrifice? We're going to notice it here in a second. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel. We thank you for the beauty of Jesus. Now, God, now, God, this great calling we have to follow I pray, I pray that we would just focus our minds on you and you alone. Let us have a moment of just worship, of just fixing our eyes on you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.